Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode number 24 of the NAX podcast. My name is Jordan Martin, and I'm the head of marketing and communications for the Northern Alberta Extreme Hockey Program. I'm joined, as always, by NAX Vice President and Program Development, Tyrell Spitzer. Tyrell, how's it going today? Good, Marty. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Just another day. Numbers are rising. <laughs> yeah, I, so is the sun. I just saw a tweet, though. Trudeau tweeted that we're getting... Uh, like 230,000 copies of the vaccine within within the month. So um, that's a start, I guess. Yeah, things are happening. Yeah, yeah, light at the end of the tunnel. That's always good. Yeah, uh, anyways, we'll get right into our, our hockey news, I guess. Um, not a lot going on. There's no hockey right now, but uh, in, I guess it's not totally true. There, there is in the States right now. Um, the NCAA season started and Two former NAX alumni started their NCAA careers with a bang. Carter Savoy's four goals in three games. Uh, Benning, I'd have to look exactly, but I think four assists in three games. So a uh, good start for those two. Oh, incredible start for those two. Um, I mean, I think it, I think you knew Carter was going to score early in the season. I don't think you, you necessarily thought it would be in his first game, but you definitely wouldn't count him out. Um, but, you know, putting up his first goal in his first game, um, that, that probably got the confidence going right off the bat. And, and the one thing that you have to notice there too is um, the, the, the trust they instantly got from their coach. I mean, regardless of the points they're putting up, but just their overall play and in and, and certain situations, they're down a goal in that very first game of the year. And there's a minute 34 left in the game. There's a power play situation and you're having, um, you know, two young guys come in right off the bat and, uh, and are, are working a power play in the most important, you know, point of the game at that point. So um, just, just kind of the trust they were able to instantly earn from their team and their staff was, uh, was really great to see too. Never mind, never mind the production as well. Yeah. And I was wrong. Uh, Benning actually has five assists in three games, which is tops on the team. And he's tied in points with Carter who has four goals and an assist. So five points in three games. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I'd have to look to see where that is in the entire NCAA, but I'd assume it's, it's up there. So um, good for them. Again, that's really all that's going on in the hockey world, though. Uh, our next guest is with uh, Team Canada. They're just finishing up their, their quarantine today because they unfortunately had the positives. But we'll, uh, we'll hop over to uh, Kirby Doc. Before we do that, Jordan, a couple of things I want to mention. Um, before we get into the Doc interview, um, I really do want to mention that this guy was a, a bit of a trendsetter in terms of that underage player playing up. Uh, we've had the opportunity to, you know, work with Kirby. Um, and, uh, and now, you know, another player that has gone through kind of that same scenario with Matt Savoy. And then you're seeing some from you and others in Western Canada with, with Connor Bedard. So you're seeing that kind of happen. Um, I know there's a lot of people that were, okay, well, you know, is that a good thing? Is always playing up necessarily a good thing or should you stay back or, you know, as, as, you know, people are making cases for it. And, and uh, I mean, you can take a step back and look at our next guest's career from basically Peewee on to where he's at right now, um, currently in quarantine with the World Juniors, but playing, uh, you know, a full season with the Blackhawks and saying, okay, well, I mean, that was kind of his development path. And it, it if anything, it, it probably got him to where he was. Um, and then, you know, we talk about two individuals and I'll even mention a third with Jake Sanderson. You know, you're, you're looking at three players in Savoy and Benning and Sanderson 
who are off to great NCAA careers and they did not choose to play up or not even necessarily in their, in their birth year play on the highest levels. I mean, those are three guys that played in the, the um, what's now the U16 league in the CSSHL. Uh, they weren't even playing on, on necessarily the prep teams because they thought their best step for development was getting um, more opportunity on, on, a, on a younger team. So, you know, ultimately you can kind of see both ways and they can get you to the same goal potentially. Um, but just, you know, it, it kind of really depends on the player, the situation and uh, kind of what's in front of them. So something I just wanted to mention here before we hop over. Um, the other thing I want to mention about Kirby is uh, this is a player who, I mean, a lot of people, when he started to really dominate, even as an underage, you know, people are like, oh, he's talented, but, you know, he might not be, uh, he might not be gritty or, you know, question his work ethic or, you know, I had an opportunity again, mentioned to work with them and it took me less than 10 minutes to, to identify this guy wants it more than anybody else and is willing to do whatever it takes to, to get there and, uh, and was a competitor and his work ethics off the charts. So this guy really did have it all. And, and part of the reason why he kept playing up as an underage and whatnot. So yeah, go ahead, Jordan, toss it over. Our next guest was the second overall pick in the 2016 WHL Bantam draft by the Saskatoon Blades and the third overall pick by the Chicago Blackhawks in the 2019 NHL entry draft. So welcome Kirby Doc. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So Kirby, before we get into uh, kind of your journey, um, talk a little bit about your situation right now at the World Juniors. And uh, obviously you've been in, in kind of quarantine for 13 days. So like what, what keeps you busy? What keeps you going? Yeah, uh, it sucks having guys tested positive and kind of putting a halt into camp. But uh, it's nice now that we're, we're done 14 days and kind of get to go back on the ice on Tuesday, tomorrow. So looking forward to that. But been passing the time, a lot of video games. Uh, I started to read some books, but on FaceTime quite a bit with uh, friends as well. I think that passes the time uh, a lot faster than, than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, so how big, maybe describe the room that you're staying in that you've had to live in for 13 days. Uh, I'd say it's like your normal hotel room. There's, there's nothing special about it, but it's not, it's not too small. Um, there's still some space and there's obviously, they gave us spin bikes. So uh, I had to kind of fit that into the room and that took up a little bit of space. So uh, the room got smaller with that, but um, it, it's been, it's been all right. I mean, you spend so much time on the road when you're playing, uh, in season it's kind of like you're on a long road trip yeah and you've uh, you've had an opportunity to represent Canada a few times and we'll, and we'll get into that here in a little bit but um, just uh, having an opportunity to represent Canada um, at the world junior level and playing with some of the top you know athletes across Canada maybe talk a little bit about you know you getting this opportunity through obviously uh, you know different circumstances but you know, being in this situation here. Yeah. Like you said, uh, I've played for team Canada before, but nothing is, is quite like the world juniors. We all grow up watching it around Christmas time and it's kind of a, a Canadian tradition. So, uh, last year I want, I wanted to play in the tournament and obviously that didn't happen. Um, but I, I couldn't really complain about it. I was playing in the best league in the world. So I, either way I was, I was in a good situation, but this year with COVID, I kind of, figured out that the tournament would be going through in kind of that bubble format. So I started to talk to Chicago early on and 
kind of expressed my interest in, in wanting to play in the tournament. And they, they agreed with it, and they've been uh, really good along the process of allowing me to, to kind of play in this tournament. And, uh, hopefully I, um, I get a chance to actually participate and, and play, and uh, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it for sure. So you actually contacted Chicago and expressed your interest in playing the tournament? Yeah, so I called my agent, uh, like I think a couple of days after the IIHF announced that the tournament would be going on. So I told him, hey, you want to talk to Stan, kind of see where his head's at with all the stuff. And right around that time was the draft. So Stan kind of just said, hey, we'll talk to you after the draft and figure it all out. So um, they gave me the green light and said, you're good to go pretty much. And the only exception would be if the, the season started up, we'd pull you uh, right then and there. So. I was like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. I'm good with that. And um, as it looks right now, uh, I don't know when the NHL is going to start. So hopefully I'll, I'll have a chance to play the whole tournament. Yeah, what a boost for Canada. I mean, we're, we're all kind of excited to see you uh, help the squad there over Christmas and uh, New Year's. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your journey. Um, so you're from Fort Saskatchewan. You know, it, it, as far as I've been uh, involved in hockey, I've kind of, I've seen this now more after the fact, but I've kind of never been a part of anything like this before as um, underage players playing at the elite levels at Bantam and Midget and, and then even uh, WHL and, and so forth. So kind of a trendsetter that way um, in my eyes in terms of kind of, you know, breaking that ground. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Your, your first year in Bantam AAA, you were actually peewee aged. Uh, so you're, you're an underage and uh, virtually going a, a point a game. Maybe talk a little bit about um, that experience, being a PWH player, playing in the, you know, at that time, that league was, you know, unbelievable, all the top yeah. players in Alberta playing in it. So maybe talk a little bit about that experience. Uh, that was really good for me. I think it really helped my development. I mean, I always played up and I was fortunate enough to always make those teams, but um, when you're that young playing against guys that are kind of in that age where they're, they're becoming more mature physically um, on the ice. So it pushes you to be better and you have to be in those, those battles with them and you know, compete all the time. But uh, I think it really helped me a lot. Like um, I don't think I'd really be the same player I was if I didn't play that underage role. And even when I got to midget, you know, I was playing against 18, 17 year, year old kids and I was only 14 years old. So it, it really strives you really pushes you to become a better player every time you're on the ice because you're not as strong as them. So you have to work twice as hard or outsmart them or outthink the game. But um, it, was, it was a huge thing for me growing up. I always wanted to try and push myself to the next level. And obviously Fort Saskatchewan uh, kind of granted that and, and let me um, go up uh, early and always kind of had that underage experience, which was really good. And uh, you're starting to see kind of more and more of that in other, other areas, not only in Alberta, but even across Western Canada. Um, so that's, uh, like I said, a little bit of a trendsetter that way. So then you, you go into your first official year age-wise into Bantam, your, your second year in the league, you know, 71 assists, 100 points, most valuable player, top forward. Did you know at that point, okay, I'm, I'm probably going to continue going to midget now or were you thinking at that point, maybe I'll stick around and play my draft year here? What were your thoughts uh, at that point? Um, my initial thought was I'm going to go play midget right away. Um, I, I thought that I kind of outgrew the league and that uh, I wanted to kind of have that competition. 
so I, I wanted to go play midget and obviously Bobby O kind of runs the, the midget league in Alberta and um, he was kind of on the fence about it and, and didn't know what he wanted to do so I started to look at uh, maybe going to school somewhere and maybe playing a, on a Bantam prep team that way but at the end of the, uh, at the end of the discussion Bobby O just kind of said fine whatever like you can play and so when I got the opportunity I was just like all right we'll, we'll play midget but um, there was the odd person that kind of would say uh don't you don't you want to play in bantam just because of the bantam draft it'll help your stock and uh, i always looked at it as if, if you're a good enough player scouts are going to find you they're going to want to watch you it doesn't matter where you play um it, it's up to you to decide that and i felt like midget was the place for me to be and i think it uh that year was, was another big year for my development i had a good coach in sean bissell who taught me a lot about the game uh playing a, a full 200 foot game which was really good that's so important for people to hear is uh, just that kind of understanding that you made the decision based on development and where you're going to get the best development, not necessarily where you were looking to necessarily showcase, I guess uh, would be the word I would use. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's great for people to hear. Um, playing as an underage now and midget, maybe talk about that experience. Was that a little different with that extra older year added or was that kind of the same? Yeah, I think that year I also grew a lot and uh, was more physically mature and I was ready to kind of take that step on where in Bantam there's such a difference in kids. Some guys hit uh, that maturity a little bit earlier than other guys do, but midget everybody's kind of evened out. But for me, uh, I grew quite a bit that summer and, and was able to put on some size. So I was confident in my game. Uh, obviously, I came off a really good year in Bantam and um, was feeling really good about my play and I uh, was fortunate enough to practice with the midget team a couple times during my Bantam year. And uh, that, that was really good because I was able to be comfortable with those guys out there already and know the team and the returning guys and was uh, kind of knew the coaching staff a little bit, which, uh, which goes a long way. So that, that really helped that process along faster. But I just felt like uh, that midget year, I, I, every time I stepped on the ice, I, I got better and I kind of was proving myself that I belonged in that league. Yeah, and uh, going to point a game as a Bantam age player in, in that league, and that league was incredibly strong then too. Um, so then you uh, enter your 15-year-old season, and you join Saskatoon uh, fairly early um, and played a, a number of games. You know, typically 15-year-olds play a limited number of games, but you were able to um, uh, play uh, quite a bit more. Uh, and also the captain of Team Alberta that year when you guys won gold and uh, the Western Canadian Championships. Maybe take us through that experience there. Kind of, you know, now you're stepping into WHL. Uh, you know, now you're playing up and up against, you know, potentially 20-year-olds and uh, and going through that experience. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun year, obviously. Got my experience in training camp in, in Saskatoon. And um, I, think, I think one of our games, a preseason games, broke my collarbone against Prince Albert. So... Uh, when I finished the game and then played another game and I didn't really know what was wrong with it, but it just kept hurting. So I went and got a look, looked out, figured out what happened and what was going on with that. And uh, so I didn't really play any games leading up to the U16 challenge with Team Alberta. Those were kind of my, my first times back on the ice and really playing meaningful games. So it, it took me a little bit to kind of get used to just skating again. I was off the ice for so long with my shoulder and stuff, but Obviously, anytime you get an opportunity to represent your your province and, and that challenge is, is always fun. 
because you're, you're going up against the best of the best in, in Western Canada. Um, I had a lot of fun. We have a good group in Alberta for my age group anyways. I think there's five or six guys from that team that are at the World Junior Camp now. Um, we've become pretty good friends over the years. And uh, obviously to win gold was, was even better. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've, um, I remember experiencing, and you might not remember this, but um, you played back with your age group. Uh, so it would have been similar to that. At uh, in a different sport, but it was the the Canadian Championships in, in for ball hockey. You kind of being Team Alberta's top player in that as well. And there was uh, one moment that I'll never forget. Um, Alberta was in the championship game against BC, and uh, a few you know big game, obviously a lot on the line, championship game. And um, you had the wherewithal to kind of notice that one of your teammates wasn't having you know uh, their A plus game. I watched you kind of walk down the bench and go sit down and have a conversation with that, that player. And uh, I'm going, geez, like, this is something you just, you know, you, you, you see it every once in a while, but you don't see it often. And I got to ask, like, is that, is that maybe by playing up with some of those guys that you've seen that, or where did that come from? Is that just something you just always did? Or like, where, where does that type of leadership come from? Um, I think a lot of my like leadership qualities kind of come from my parents and just try to grow me into being a good person and always helping out others. Um, like you kind of touched on, I've, I've always kind of been the, that guy that'll try and calm guys down or talk to them. But there, there's times where I ride high on my emotions and, and maybe snap or, or the odd time or two, but at the same time, you have to find ways to, if you want to become a good leader to get the best out of each player individually. Um, obviously I had an opportunity this year to learn from guys like Jonathan Taze, Brent Seabrook, Duncan Keith, Patrick Kane, and what their leadership styles are like. And um, it was interesting to see, obviously a couple of those guys like to be vocal in the dressing room and, and kind of stand up. But for me, it, it's about picking my moments when to talk to guys and, and know what to say it when, how to say it, but at the same time leading by example, um, whether it's on the ice or off the ice. Right on. Um, so you jumped into the WHL full-time 16, uh, most assists by a, a WHL rookie, um, 39 and 52 games. Uh, you also played for Team Canada U17 Black uh, in 2017-2018. That was your first experience in the Team Canada uh, Elite Program. And then the following year, you also played at home. Uh, I know I was lucky enough to, to watch it firsthand. Um, playing for Team Canada at the Helenka Gretzky Cup, recording seven points in five games and, and winning gold. There's a couple moments, you know, along the way there. I, I want to bring up the uh, the goal right at the end of the game against Team US, and then uh, obviously a kind of an outstanding finish against uh, for the gold medal. So maybe talk a little bit about that experience, especially in your hometown, and and kind of all the emotions going through because you were actually on the ice when that goal went in, I believe. Yeah, uh, that was. That was nuts. Obviously, I was standing in front of the net when, when Cuz shot it had Cousin. to kind of jump over the puck. So uh, we didn't know the time expired or, or whatever happened. We just knew the puck was in the net and, and we went crazy. And I think the celebration almost sold it so much because um, they weren't allowing video replay because the Red Deer rink uh, didn't have it. So it was kind of an advantage. I mean, you go back and, and watch it afterwards and, and you think, well, maybe, maybe not. It wasn't in, but they called it a goal and um then we went out and scored in overtime i mean um the u.s team kind of surprised us at how good they were um we weren't expecting them to come out that hard and i think that was kind of a wake-up call for us and then even in the finals uh, we were down two nothing pretty quick to team sweden 
um, had to kind of come come back there and uh, we knew we could do it as a group we were, we were pretty confident and never really panicked so uh, that was a fun tournament to be a part of and obviously standing on the blue line singing oh canada with the gold medal around your neck was uh, was pretty special do you go back to moments like that when you're you're preparing for you know the tournament that you're you're preparing for right now now do you, you kind of look back and say okay i've learned lessons in those experiences that i'm gonna you know relate to the the rest of the guys or pull from just to get prepared for this one yeah i think you kind of lean on your past experiences and um adversities that you've kind of gone through and know what you did to get over that stuff but at the same time this is a whole different tournament and than it is at the u18 or even the u17 levels so you have to repair uh, the best way you can mentally physically off the ice so when you step on the ice uh, you have nothing to worry about except for just playing the game trusting your instincts when you're out there and reading and reacting so that's uh, that's the way i kind of look at it is, is i really take a lot into training my body and my mind to be fully ready when i step on the ice i can just let everything go and just kind of read off the plane and trust my instincts and make sure that I'm making the right plays. Well, makes sense. So then you're going to uh, the NHL draft. What was the communication prior uh, leading right up to it? And then did you kind of have an indication where you were headed and, and how it was going to play out? Or were you completely like, no idea? I was in the dark till about an hour before the draft. Um, I was in Vancouver for a week before I had meetings with uh, several teams before and I, I was, got pretty close with, I'm pretty close with Bowen already. I uh, got pretty close with Alex Turcott from the combine uh, and then Cousin and I were, were close to, we, we've competed pretty much uh, since the Bantam draft. We were really good buddies off the ice. So um, none of us heard anything from Chicago. But we, we met with the teams that were four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We met with all those teams except for Chicago. Nobody heard anything. And it was kind of interesting to go into that draft because they kept everything so quiet. And uh, I got a text from uh, an unknown number saying, hey, this is Mark Kelly from the Chicago Blackhawks. How would you like to become a Blackhawk? So I, I kind of knew, but I didn't want to tell too many people. I think I told my dad and my brother. And then that was that was it, just in case it didn't happen. So um it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I kind of knew it was happening, but at the same time, it's still still a shock when you hear your name called. And after after they called my name, I stood up, hugged my mom, and uh, I don't really remember the rest of that night. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you go from the draft, you end up going to your first camp. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that experience, walk into the room, like you mentioned before, you know, some, some very successful uh, leadership group in Chicago. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about who kind of communicated with you first or took you under their wing or if that even happened. Uh, yeah, I got texts from, from all those guys right after the draft. Um, and that was, that was pretty cool. But one guy I always, always gravitated to towards was, uh, Brent Seabrook. Me and him, I lived with him this year and, and we have a really good relationship and, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, when we went down there for development camp in the summer, the Hawks hold this, uh, convention for their fans they bring all these fans in and uh we go through seminars and kind of tell stories and, and stuff like that with with the fans around and, and the fans really enjoy it so i was able to kind of hang out around brent and a lot there and we went for dinners and stuff and just kind of joked about living together um the odd time because uh we have a, this the same agency in, in common so 
at camp again in, in September, I kind of mentioned it and he was like, all right, whatever. Like, if you want to do this, we can do this. Their house was pretty busy. They got three kids, three dogs. So it's uh it's mayhem, but I grew up in mayhem. I got two little siblings with two dogs too. So it was a, it was a fun experience, but Brent was one guy that I always was around and I've learned so much from him and uh, I can't thank him enough for allowing me to live with him and his family. So when you sit on the ice with uh, guys like Seabrook and Keith and, uh, you know, Kane and stuff, like what, what was your, like, first time on the ice, what was your first thoughts there? Were you, were you just kind of awestruck or were you just zoned in? Yeah, I was, I was still nervous. I remember for, like, the first month I was nervous to make a pass to, to Taser Kaner just because I didn't want to be the guy that would mess it up or give him a bad pass and then just look at me the wrong way. So I didn't, I always uh, was, was nervous when I was passing to those guys for sure. But I, I got pretty comfortable with Brent fast and um, him and Dunker, obviously everybody knows their relationship and how, how good of friends and um, pretty much family members they are. So I spent a lot of time with those two guys when, whether it's traveling to the plane or on the road, eating dinners and stuff. Um, so I was pretty comfortable around them and it took me a while to, Kind of become comfortable around Kaner and, and Taser, but once the you, you got to just realize they're normal people. They uh, that was a big thing for me is that I always looked up to them as as these almost uh, gods in, in my eyes. But um, they're normal guys, and they like just they talk the same way, walk the same way. But it's uh, it's always fun being around those guys and listening to what they have to say. And uh, the odd story from them is uh, is always funny. You know, one thing I always uh, think about when when you when you think about Kirby Doc is uh, just the confidence you played with, you know, regardless of your age or what level you're playing at. And I, you know, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to see you go from nervous to performing at a, an exceptionally high level um, with a lot of confidence at, at the, you know, at the highest level you can play at. Um, how do you go from that to that? Like what, what, what's your, what's your strategy or what's your secret? Um, I don't know if it's really a strategy or secret. I just like to play the game and I spend so much time on, on an outdoor rink or even in my backyard, um, messing around with skills and stuff that, uh, I like to try things and enjoy being out there all the time. So, um, I'm pretty competitive and I think that's a thing that really usually drives me is that I hate, hate when people, um, are better than me or, or, or winning and I'm losing. I, I, I hate that feeling of, of whatever that feeling is. But for me, it was always my driving force was how competitive I was to, to be out there and to be confident in my play. I always feel like when I, ha I have the puck, I can make whatever play I want. And um, I've always kind of had that confidence with me. You know, and I, I know you had an opportunity to kind of jump out and play some uh, four and four with the other pros around the Edmonton area. And one of the one of the moves I saw you do more often than not was your dropped your skate kick across over, <laughs> and uh, I remember I was wowed at the arena when I saw that at the on the four and four with the minor pros, and then all of a sudden everyone's talking about uh, what Kirby did at the you know World Junior stage, and uh, there I see a highlight of you doing the exact same thing you were working on in in the four and four. Were were you literally using the kind of four and four as a as an opportunity to work on some things that you might want to add into your game, or were you just having fun, or like what? what yeah, I think it's it's a bit of both, having fun, but at the same time, work on on those uh, skills you maybe don't want to try in in a regular practice where you have kind of more time and space to to do some of that stuff. But 
uh, I had Caden Gooley on my team in the four and four and Matthew Robertson and uh, Gooley's texted me after right after and he goes the amount of times I've seen you mess that up in four on four and the only time <laughs> is it when it works here <laughs> like yeah that's how it works and uh, we had a good chuckle about it but uh, yeah there's a lot of stuff that I like to try and, and mess around with and see if it works. Yeah no that's amazing because there's um, you know you get the player that's even scared in those environments to not make it, they don't want to make a mistake and yes. to just have the, the ability to kind of play that way. And, and then when it's down time to, you know, uh, get it done, you know, you have the ability to do that. But I think that was just really kind of cool to see. And then you relay that. I think that's just a, sh a sign of your confidence. And I think that's something that young athletes um, need to uh, need to hear is there's opportunities to kind of be creative and work on things. And then, you know, when your time comes, you might be able to pull out your toolbox yeah exactly so i just want to ask about the thought process of that play because obviously you've practiced a lot at that four-on-four -four and stuff but when you got the puck there on that two-on-one was that the first thing that went in your mind was i'm trying this even at team canada camp here or did it kind of happen last second and kind of what was the thought process there uh i don't really know i learned that skill like three or four years ago so i've been trying to do it for a long time now um but uh yeah i went against the same defenseman i think three or four times in a row and i kind of would look shot every time and, and you'd put his stick down and lean towards me so i always had the pass passing behind his skate so i was like this last time i just kind of came down and just on the spot was like all right i'm gonna try it here and i just did it and uh it was obviously a good <laughs> pass and but the, the guy got got enough on it to finish i think the the goal would made it uh, a lot better than if it was an errant pass or something yeah. So I just want to jump back to uh, Blackhawks. Um, you know, you play a full season, you know, you're yeah, at some point you're nervous stepping on the ice for the first time. Next thing you know, you're looking at Doc out on a power play with Kane and Taves and um, Kubelik and uh, Keith, you know, important times of the season and then right into the playoffs. And in your backyard against the Edmonton Oilers, um, against all odds, uh, let's be honest, you guys probably should not have come out of that series. Um, but you guys put together, well, I guess your, your, your talented players, your, your, your stars, you being included, uh, really rose to the occasion and then knocked off you know, what was supposed to be a really good run for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about going into that series, what was the mindset? Obviously you're not coming in thinking, well, we're supposed to lose this. And, you know, especially with your attitude is how competitive you are and you're always wanting to win. But what was the mindset as your, of your group entering that series, knowing the situation and then kind of going through it and then ultimately getting through it? You know, we felt we were, we were pretty confident in our play. Um, even in camp, I know guys, we're feeling good and I felt really confident in my play. Like I took another couple of steps and, and was ready to take on a bigger role. So we had guys that were, were stepping up at the right time and, and doing the right things. Obviously Kubalik had an unbelievable year and he continued that in the playoffs. And then even when we got to the bubble and we had our first exhibition game uh, against St. Louis and uh, they usually took it to us all year and we kind of stood up and, and fought back and won that game. Um, which was a sign for our group that we were confident and playing well and trusting each other to do each other's jobs. So when we got to, into that series against Edmonton, we obviously knew about 97 and 29 and what they can do out there. So anytime they, we limited their chances and took away their power plays because they had, I think they were like 30% of the power play or something ridiculous yeah, this year. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That we had a good chance of winning 
Uh, I think we got away from that in, in game two when they won and uh, they, I think they had like six or seven power plays and had went three for six or something like that and really hurt our team. So we knew we had to get rid of the penalties to, to have a fighting chance against them. And, and we did. And obviously Crow stood on his head and he's an unbelievable goalie. And uh, that's obviously a big hole for, for our team to fill this year is, is not having him back there. Going into the next round, uh, you guys had to run into Vegas, which was a, which was a big, strong team. And they were, again, supposed to be a, a bit of a powerhouse. And you kind of took them, uh, I think, for all they were worth. And they didn't have much left after getting past you. But what was your thoughts going into that series? Same thing? Like, we're, we're going we're gonna to get past this one, too? Yeah. I think once you kind of start getting on that rolling playoffs, you, you kind of believe that your group can go, go as far as, uh, as they want. So, obviously, we knew Vegas was a tough team. And uh, we had a little bit of success against them in the regular season. But at the same time, we knew there were four lines that they rolled and, and played heavy and hard and fast. Uh, at times, it felt like it was uh, it was wave after wave after wave, and uh, we knew that was going to happen. We had to settle it down and, and find ways to win. And obviously, Crow again was unbelievable in that series. Stole game four was on his head for for most of those games, um, which was only the reason why we had a chance to win. So uh, I think we were missing a couple pieces that I think if we had, we, we could have made a really good run at it. And, um, but obviously that's not, that's not my job. And uh, that's for Stan and, and Jeremy to figure out, but uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what we got coming up this next year. I felt like a lot of our young guys, uh, myself, Bolquist, Debrinket, Strom, Kubelik, uh, or Nylander are all ready to kind of take on a bigger role and accept accept that and uh, help the team get back to where we want to be. Yeah. You kind of mentioning those names and, and kind of taking a little bit of ownership too is, is pretty scary for the other teams, you know, to hear you guys all willing to take another step. Um, you know, something I, I do want people cause they can't see us. I want people to hear it is when I, when I made the aired comment, uh, let's be honest, uh, Oilers should have won that series. You, uh, you rolled your eyes. <laughs> and I was that's just showing how competitive you are. <laughs> I, uh, it was yeah. funny because the first time I met you, um, I kind of thought, okay, he's a skilled player, but um, I don't know how gritty he is. And then it took me literally 10 minutes in the first uh, practice or first game. I, I had an experience to, to work with you to realize, no, no, this guy is, is as competitive and as gritty as they come. So um, just happened to have a ton of skill with you. But no, that, I mean, that's the, that's the attitude that you, you bring. And I, uh, I, I mean, it's exciting. It's exciting to see. And just to be honest, uh, once you knocked out the Oilers and I was cheering for you, I wanted you to score a ton of points. I wanted every game to be 10, nine, but it was, wouldn't mind the Oilers winning 10, but I wanted you to get, you know, nine points a game. Yeah. Uh, but once you knocked them out, I was, uh, I was hoping you were going to go as far as you could as well. Um, so that was, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, we all kind of looked at each other and thought if we could get past Vegas here, I know how tough of a test they'd be that, uh, we had a really good shot of going all the way. And yeah. I think that was, that was a big hump for our team, even to get past the Oilers and even be a, a playoff team when we probably didn't deserve to be. If you, if we play out the rest of the season, uh, we pretty much had to win out to, to have a chance at getting in there. So yeah. uh, it was interesting, but it, it was a lot of fun for our group. And I think we came closer together. You're, you're in together 24 seven in the bubble. And I think that's a huge advantage that this team will, will have over everybody else in the world juniors that we've been, stuck together for the past month already um we've uh, already created those bonds those friendships that won't go a long way on the ice 
And that's amazing. You're taking that and you're turning that into a positive. I mean, a lot, you know, some people might look at that negatively and here you are going, yeah, you know what? We're, we're in this situation and we're building bonds. Like we are looking at it as a positive again, just goes to show your attitude when you approach things. Let's talk just a little bit about that. So you lived life in the bubble in Edmonton and now you're kind of going back into a similar situation. Um, what was that like? Cause I know it's easy for people to, you know, do their job, go home, you know, be able to hop in a car, uh, go grab some groceries, still feel locked down, but not really be locked down. But you guys were legitimately locked down. What was that like? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the older guys made a joke when we were walking to the, the rink the one day, they kind of gated it all off that we were like uh, a petting zoo or a, a livestock animals. Like uh, people were kind of outside taking pictures of us walking by and stuff. And <laughs> it was that, it was, a, it was a pretty funny joke, but no, the NHL did a good job of making sure that there's no positive cases so that we could play the games out. And uh, I had a lot of fun in the bubble. Obviously I don't have a family and a wife and kids to go home to. So I don't, uh, I got nothing to worry about that way, but kind of just playing my game and, and focusing on the game. But you got to spend time with some guys you, you usually don't at home or even on the road. Um, and you get to see other, other pros there. I think one guy that I really enjoyed to watch, tried to watch all the time was Nathan McKinnon. I think he's uh, after this playoffs has kind of proven himself to, to be the top player in, in the NHL. Um, even playing against him this year four times was uh, was hard and, and difficult. I've never really played against a player like him, and he was uh, he was exciting to watch. Every time he touched the puck, he, you kind of knew that the game was going to turn around and, and he was going to create a scoring chance. So uh, that that aspect of it was cool to kind of sit down and, and watch live hockey games um again was was uh was awesome yeah no that would have been something else but uh was it was it manageable would it be something that you would be interested in in doing again if it meant having that was the only way to have a season Uh, like again for me it it doesn't matter like i'm i'm young enough i'm uh i got nothing to worry about at home i got no home life pretty much i just hang out and play some video games and uh, that's that's pretty much my life when I'm, i'm at home so for me, it doesn't matter. It's, it's more so the older guys that got to be away from their families, which I understand. I think anybody doesn't want to be away from their families for six months locked away in a bubble and, and can't see them. So especially guys with young kids. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And again, another another positive attitude uh, answer from you. Well, uh, Kirby, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to sit down and talk with us a little bit about your your experience and kind of your journey. You know, I wish you uh, all the best uh, representing Team Canada here as you kind of move through the World Junior Tournament. And uh, what a what a boost for Team Canada to have you fall in their lap during a you know pandemic. But thank you very much for taking the time. And uh, is there anything that you'd like to add for kind of the young athletes or families? Um, you know, really kind of making their own journey. Is there any advice you'd like to pass on to any of them? Yeah, I think I just say work hard. Um, understand that at life you're going to be faced with with choices and you're going to have to give up some things. Um, I think sacrifices are a big reason why so many people become great at what they do. They give up the little now that maybe I don't seem little, but in the grand scheme of things are little and, and pretty meaningless. So that was a big thing for me growing up. I think I was around 10 uh, maybe 12 years old when I was kind of my first year Bantam, uh, going back to that, like my underage year, I sat down with my parents and kind of just said, Hey, I want to be a pro hockey player. I want to play in the NHL. That's, that's my goal. That's my dream. And 
they both agreed that they'd do anything in their power to, to kind of help me get there, but they weren't, they weren't going to push me. It was all had to come from my own. But at the same time, they told me, you're going to have to make sacrifices if you want to get there. And I said, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes because this is what I want. And now that I'm here, everything's, uh, everything's better, bigger than I expected it to be. And it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome to hear. Well, thanks again, Kirby. And maybe we'll bug you, uh, maybe on the other end of this tournament here and, and kind of get your thoughts about how everything played out. Yeah, for sure. Thanks guys. And there you have it from Chicago Blackhawks forward Kirby doc Tyrell, your thoughts. I think we really got, you know, what he was on this. I know there's some players that I've had the opportunity to work with, you know, coach and whether it's ice hockey with or against or ball hockey with or against or whatever that, you know, you get into a situation like this and you don't quite get who they are as a player you know, through an interview, or it can be difficult. I've noticed with a few of them, but um, you know, what, what you heard is really what you get with, with Kirby. I mean, there's no straight shooter. You can tell he's competitive. You can tell he wants to win at all costs. Um, I knew, I knew as soon as I said, okay, let's be honest. Uh, Oilers sh should have won that series. I mean, uh, he immediately was like, you could just see he was about to come through the screen. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I I don't care if they have McDavid or Dreisaitl or whoever else. I'm, you know, we're going to win. Uh, but he always had that. And that was always cool. So I think, you know, most important, um, this was really good because I think people really are going to understand what type of person he is and what, if they truly, if they truly really want to get there, what it takes. Um, because, you could just tell like he was all about sacrifices everything everything that people would use an excuse he turned into something positive about his situation or his environment like it was always like i'm just going to keep moving towards my goal and everything else is just in my way and uh it was just really cool to to see when he was growing up going through it really cool to hear him kind of realize it once he's there and really cool for you know us to hear it again in self-reflection so um yeah this was a good one for me yeah, he was, he's very well-spoken to. He kind of talks older than I think he is. And uh, you, I think that probably comes from playing up a little bit. You know, that maturity is probably developed mature a lot quicker than most kids would. And, um, and that's, you know, you kind of mentioned this at the start of the episode, that, that big debate on whether or not you should be jumping up a level or, or playing, you know, kind of with your age. And, and, and you saw this last year, uh, four of the top 10 picks in the WHL draft all played midget, uh, the first three and then number 10 in Mazin Leslie. So, you're seeing a trend shifting that direction, but I still think people need to remember there's a lot of factors that go into it. And just because your kid's good enough doesn't necessarily mean they should have or should, sorry, uh, go to that level. I think a lot of it depends on that. You know, are they actually ready for it? Because I think if you look a lot of the kids who haven't made that jump originally, they probably could have, you know, could Gunther have played midget as uh, when he was in Bantam? Yeah, probably. So could have a lot of the other guys in that top half of the draft, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best fit, but for some guys it absolutely is. So kind of, trying to understand that and we're getting both sides here now with the with the guy like uh with like Kirby Doc who did make that jump early yeah I think you really opened the door for a lot of these guys in terms of just making it I, like not to say they couldn't do it but I think just an easier transition because you know I remember the 98 birth years there was players that you know were looking into playing up and um it was it was such a such a process to even go through in terms of what you needed in terms of paperwork and educational support and you needed the program support then you needed to be one of the top players on the team you were looking to move up like it was almost it was built against you 
to even really consider it. So, I mean, he was in a situation where he took a look and said, okay, for development purposes, this is what I need to do. Um, and then you can look with, you know, even in his own family, like, uh, you know, Dale's a hockey guy, obviously making good decisions for, for Kirby. And, um, you know, he's got a, a, another son in, in Colton, who's an exceptional player as well. And I think he did play up in Bantam as well as a PBH, but um, I don't think there was ever an attempt to have him play uh, midget as a Bantam age. He, he played his Bantam, Bantam year in his, in his draft year and was a, was a top high end pick. So, I mean, even within the own family, I think it was actually a decision. Okay. What's around him? What's in front of him? Who's standing in front of him? What's the, the competition like? And all those factors are, are brought in. And there's a probably a really honest conversation that was to be had. And, and then you're making the best decision in there. Uh, like you mentioned, not, you know, one size fits all with these things. I think you really got to look at what you're up against and what your situation is. But, um, you know, we mentioned previous to the interview too, we're talking a lot about two individuals who, I mean, would have had opportunities to play at the highest level within their own age group. And they chose to take a step back and, and uh, maybe put themselves in a little bit better opportunities to develop certain parts of their game. And, and now that's showing that that's even paying off. And I've seen that uh, as well. So I think really there's just needs to be a lot more thought than just, Hey, I want to play up or, Hey, I want to uh, stick around and, and try and dominate my birth year. I think there's really kind of a lot of things I need to, to go into it. And I think people are understanding that. Um, and I think there's a lot of people and a lot of resources you can, you know, if you're in that situation, if an athlete or a parent is in that situation, a lot of people that you can reach out to to kind of help you with that stuff as well. Yeah. And the last thing I just want to touch on is uh, this episode probably going to come out here on Tuesday, December 8th, which means Team Canada just got out of their bubble. We're all rooting for them and, and really hoping that they can have a lot of success here at this upcoming World Juniors. And what a boost to add someone like him to the roster too, eh? Yeah, that's a huge one. It's too bad, you know, they couldn't get Lafreniere, but uh, that should still be a really good team. Yeah. That's where uh, we'll end off today. I know we had mentioned that we were going to have Jake DeBrusque on next. Uh, oh. That ended up not happening. We had Kirby Dock instead today. I think that's still a pretty good one anyways. Um, Maybe we'll have to work on DeBrusque again, though, here, Spitzy, and get him on. But uh, we'll have a guest lined up here again for everyone shortly. But I'll talk to you later, Spitz.